Welcome to the Financial Advisors Workshop, where Brian Castle, founder of Four Star Wealth in Chicago, interviews the most successful financial advisors in America to hear exactly how they grew their businesses to 100 million and beyond. Before we dive into the interview, please go to financialadvisorsworkshop.com and download your copy of our free guide on how to find ultra high net worth clients. Let's start the show. Here's Brian. Hey, welcome back everybody to the Financial Advisors Workshop. Uh, our objective is to interview some of the top financial advisors in the country. And uh, our team is able to find some really amazing people. And today we have one of those folks to, with us. It's John Olson and John runs 2250 Financial Services. Uh, and uh, you are, uh, John, where, where are you actually? I thought I knew where you were and I, what, what city are you in? I'm in uh, Millersville, Maryland, near Annapolis. Oh, okay. I should have known by the 410 area code. That's right. Okay, well, welcome. Welcome, John. Thank you. Financial Advisors Workshop. Thank you. And uh, John, we, we had a discussion about your life and your practice. Um, where does the name 2250 come from? What, 2250 Financial Advisors. So my father was born February 22nd, 1950. And when I named the company, I wanted to name it after him because uh, he had passed away in 2012. But he had the same name as I did. So naming it John Olson Financial Advising would be nothing special. So I decided to go 2250. And now every time someone asks, I get to tell his story. Which is great. Yeah. And so your dad was a big towering figure in your life. Yeah, he was. He, he really lived uh, with integrity, which is something I uh, is, is a goal in my own life, personally and professionally. And mm -hmm. so it kind of, you know, it meant something to me personally, but it also speaks to how I try to operate professionally. Excellent. Well, and then you you took some of those great uh, those great uh, uh, ideas and training and then went into the military and you were a military officer as a way of background. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I served in the submarine force. Um, right. So I went to the Naval Academy and I served on the USS Connecticut for three years. And, um, you know, I was a fast attack boat. So we just, you know, we, we jokingly call it poking holes in the water. Um, and, you know, we spent our time driving around the world uh, doing various missions and um, it was great training. We got to learn nuclear engineering and submarine warfare as an officer, you have to kind of do your best to combine all those skills to lead the submarine uh, mm -hmm. crew. And uh, it was a really educational experience. It was, I'm very proud of my service. Um, but for me in the long run, I, I, um, I only did seven years, um, mm -hmm. the goal, and you know, I moved on to. May I have your attention, please? Yes. And we're, someone's being paged here. Sorry about that, John. That's all right. <laughs> so, no, and you, so that's really great, but that's really, I mean, the foundation of your family and foundation of the military has led you to a position of more than just being a 60-40 portfolio guy. You're, you're yes. a lot, you're much more than that. And so as you founded uh, 2250 Financial Advisors, did you start there or did you start somewhere else and then begin this firm or do you start it right away? So I started at a broker dealer where I was actually for 10 years um, and I got okay. a lot of great training there and a lot, met a lot of great mentors. And then about 10 years in, it became obvious to me that for my own personal professional yeah. growth, it was worth going independent. So yeah. I joined up with Commonwealth and then 
I had 2250 financial services, but only operated in the background. And now I get to be 2250 financial to the world as an independent advisor. Nice. Nice. That's great. So now you have the freedom to do the things that you, you want to do and the obligation to do the right thing. Yes, uh, very much. As well. Yes. So tell us a little bit about 2250 financial advisors. Um, how, how large are you? What do you guys do? Just give us some, some background. Sure. Uh, so right now it's uh, myself and I have a younger advisor who's in the industry about a year and she's training with me and the idea being that she can be a servicing advisor. So it's just the two of us and an admin assistant. Um, idea being, I've been kicking around the idea, what do I want for growth? Do I want it to be just organic? I am in the middle of an acquisition, so I'll be adding uh, a retiring advisor's um, book of business here in about a year. Um, and she's wonderful. She's going to stick around for a couple of years after she officially transfers the business. Um, and, and so that's kind of my current trajectory uh, long term. You know, do I really want to be a firm of 30 advisors or 100 advisors or, you know, do I really want to be two or three? I don't I don't really know. I'm kind of seeing where the world takes me. I'm a faithful person. So, you know, you know, balancing that with my family as well, because, you know, if you turn into CEO and that's less family time. So, absolutely. but that's kind of where I am now. Yeah. But you do have the freedom. The nice thing is that you work for yourself. So if you could ever balance it, this is a better opportunity than maybe at a warehouse or a bit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, good. So, so how do you manage clients at 2250? financial planning and different portfolios. Let's talk about those sure. aspects. So I, I'm a CFP first. Um, so everything I do involves a financial plan, um, maybe to my detriment. I don't, um, it is a rare occasion where a client comes in and gets to open an IRA within a meeting or two. I really like the purposeful iterative process of financial planning. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's good for the client. It's good for the business. It builds trust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It allows me as an advisor to get to know the client and the client to get mm -hmm. to know me. Mm -hmm. um, I always tell every client when they're interviewing me that they should hire somebody with whom they think they can build trust. Mm -hmm. And that should be their major deciding factor because there will come a time in our relationship when I'm going to give them advice they may not want to hear. And if we have that trust, they're at least going to be open to it and hear me out. They may say no, mm -hmm. right. but they're at least going to consider it. And right. so that's kind of my, in 30 seconds, that's basically my pitch to clients is I want to be your trusted advisor um, and guide you through whatever life throws at you, whether you're 20 or 80 and, you know, go from there. So that's kind of how we do it. It's a very purposeful financial planning process. And then, you know, I do the investment management insurance, mm -hmm. um, you know, do help them save money in an emergency account or mm -hmm. analyze their workplace benefits, things like that. Um, all the stuff so you, that I would consider part of financial planning. The full relationship. Yes. Um, great. So how do you uh, do the planning? Do you use any of the systems out there? Or do you do your own planning? Uh, I use Right Capital right now. I, I really like okay. them. Um, mm -hmm. They've got a great relationship with Commonwealth. Right. And, um, right. They're, they're always adding new capabilities. So it's really, I, there's been a couple of times in the past two years, I've given them feedback and I've actually seen them making a software change as a result. 
So it's been a really, it's been a good tool and I find it, I find the output very understandable by the client. It's not mm -hmm. in financial speak and, and um, jargon. It's something that can be visually understood and, and read and clients can grasp it without mm -hmm. necessarily being fully educated like we are as advisors. In the, and, in the and John, how often do you review the plan? I mean, you make the plan, but then do you look at it often? Uh, so I, my promise, I don't force any clients, but I really try to see clients at least once a year, mm -hmm. if not more. And we'll review kind of, you know, where they are, updates. And, you know, sometimes that necessitates bringing out the actual plan. Sometimes it's a little simpler than that, but I feel like that annual at least minimum check-in is necessary to kind of keep up with life. Um, sometimes right. it's like you go to your doctor, you, you know, you, you go to your doctor and they say, hey, you're healthy, see you next year. And right. That's it. Other, other times there's, you know, issues to figure out. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. But you do. So, so you don't bury the plan. You, you review it and track it and mm -hmm. make sure that they good. And then, and, and that's a, Absolutely. a big, big mistake. Many advisors make, they don't focus on the plan. The plan's the key. You don't. Absolutely. That, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, good. Um, and then as far as money management, are you a money manager as well? Or do you use third-party managers? Or? So I use third-party Commonwealth has a great program. Um, but I mm -hmm. also run my own portfolios. Okay. Uh, and I've enjoyed that very much. I was not able to do that at my old broker dealer. Ah, okay. That's been a fun uh, addition to the workload. Long-term, I don't know if I'm going to always do it. Mm -hmm. it. It is, does take time and, you know, I want to give it its due course. So depending on how my growth goes, I may eventually switch to only third-party managers. Um, or I've kicked around the idea of hiring a kind of a, a chief investment officer at some point if I grow big enough. And right. kind of just be the authority for the firm, but let that person take the reins. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. But for now, I do manage um, my own portfolios. And that's where most of my clients' money is. Okay. So you run most of the client money. Um, yes. So, so tell us about your management style. Are you a relative strength guy, a book value guy? What, what do you do? I would say I'm a traditionalist. Um, okay. You know, I, I have the... 100%, 80-20, 60-40 portfolios. Um, I I believe in a mix of active and passive investing. I like the idea that in the, the past it's cheaper and you can, you can take the ride for almost free, but then the active managers are there to kind of hopefully do better in the, uh, than the index over time. Um, I'm not a, uh, a day trader. I use mostly mutual funds and ETFs. Okay. Um, and it's very long-term focused. So the way I measure my my investments success is on the 10-year numbers. Okay. I'll monitor the three-month, six-month, one-year numbers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that may lead to me firing a mutual fund here or there, but I give them a little bit of leeway because you know everyone's gonna have a bad quarter or a bad half a year. So uh, but again, I consider it kind of the boring approach. You know, right. I'm not a, I don't use alts or <clears throat> Um, REITs or, uh, you know, anything like that. It really is kind of bread and butter, just buy and hold sort of strategy. Okay. Um, do you do any individual stocks at all? Or is it still mostly funds ETFs? Mostly funds and ETFs. I do have a few, but it's mostly uh, at client requests. So I'll give you an example. I have one client yeah. who has five grandchildren and they said, 
we want to buy a stock uh, with each grandkid's personality in mind. <laughs> and That's great. so we set that up and uh, it was amusing to watch kind of how it panned out over time because one of them shot through the roof and another just lagged. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, and we, yeah. had the, we had to re, rebalance the grandkids, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of where it is. Or if someone's got um, you know company stock from a job and they want to hold on to it, I'll I'll do that sort of thing. But I'm not actively calling clients and saying, "Hey, I got a you know a new hot IPO, and yeah. you know, I think you should get into it." I don't do anything like that. So, John, if you don't do individual stocks, um, is it maybe it doesn't really matter? I mean, the the ETFs can give the same kind of returns. It's like why. Why bother with all that, right? Yeah, I guess if you were to talk to an expert or a Wall Street trader, they could probably give you a case where individual makes a difference. But um, you're, we're probably talking, you know, in the tens of basis points at best over a long investment cycle. Right. And I, I figure for the effort, uh, you know, why bother when that effort could go to things like tax efficient planning or mm -hmm. insurance portfolio planning and things that are going to have a bigger alpha for the client than getting them 20 extra basis points because I picked the right stocks. Right. That's great. That's great. Well, good. So how often do you meet with folks? Is it quarterly reviews, semi-annual, yearly? Um, minimum annually. Um, I we'll see them more often as life necessitates. Okay. So at the, usually at the end of every meeting, I'll ask them, I'll say, you know, what's coming up over the next six months or a year? Is there mm -hmm. any reason we should meet at a certain time? Are you getting married, changing jobs? You know, I try to link the meetings outside of at least once annually to mm -hmm. life events um, rather than just a, a rote every quarter sort of thing. Right. Well, but, and, and are you in touch with them regularly as well, other than just the reviews? Yeah, um, we, you know, we have marketing things or I write articles and send them out or, you know, the, the this year we've been through, uh, you know, I'll send out notes like, you know, we know the market's down, but, you know, keep your spirits up sort of things, you know, here's some analysis to consider of why we're not, the whole world's not going to, you know, to nothing, uh, you know, I try to keep up with timely commentary as well as personalized uh, touches. That's great. So you, so you talk to them and I bet you've talked to them um, you know, this year, you know, we've had the worst stock market in the first half since 1970 and then the worst bond market ever with the 20, <laughs> 20, uh, 20 year down 20% and the, uh, yeah. the, the Barclays Ag down what 12% and we've never seen yeah. a bond market. Usually bonds go up. Right. When right. stocks go down. So, you know, what, what's going on here? So, um, you know, how has that worked with your client base? Have you had anybody jumping off the, off the ledge? Or, or, I've had concerns, but no one who's actually gone to cash or. Uh, okay. I think a little bit of that is just client training, mm -hmm. you know, especially right. when people are first investing is explaining that, you know, a 20% drop in the market is, normal every 18 to 24 months mm -hmm. it's not fun but it's normal and we right. got spoiled from you know march 9th 2009 through 2020 right. that is an anomaly and i think it's just allowing people to understand that volatility is not necessarily always risk 
Right. And letting them you know, not using jargon to explain. And I think generally speaking, all of people call me up and say things like, I know what you're going to tell me, but I want you to tell me anyway. <laughs> so they already know what I'm going to say, which is, I consider, you know, a good thing. Uh, but yeah, I haven't had anyone. And I, I think it goes back to as well as with each client, if you individualize their portfolio to their goals and risk tolerance, when this happens, you already know they're not going to touch the money for 10 years or two years or whatever their goals were. So when it happens, it, it's just kind of watching it happen on paper as opposed to it affecting their lifestyle. Right, right. Well, that's great. So, so it's really the training and background and the, and the personalized planning that keeps people from jumping off the cliff uh, in a market yeah. like this, right? Yeah. I think as a business, if you, if you are primarily a financial planner, when in, something happens bad in the investment world, your focus has always been financial planning. If all you do is sell investments, they're going to measure you by investments. Right. That's a, that's a great, yes, absolutely. Well, um, now that we've seen this horrible market in the sloppy summer, um, what, yes. what, you know, what, what, what do you see ahead here, John, and the challenges ahead? What, what, what do you think is going to happen? I wish I had a crystal ball. Uh, but I mean, I, I really do believe in uh, good old American ingenuity. And it doesn't mean we don't have rough spots, but I mean, is this going to be another year of high inflation or what? I, I don't know. Um, I do think the election is going to matter in the sense mm -hmm. that markets don't like uncertainty. And right now we just don't know what we're going to have in 2023 and 2024, as far as Washington, D.C. goes. So mm -hmm. I think once that's over, I think that's going to be there's going to be one piece of uncertainty removed from the Wall Street equation. And we're still going to have the Federal Reserve and see what they do. But, um, you know, I listen to all the pundits just like everybody else. And I want to believe that sometime mid next year, this all comes down. But I don't, I'm, I'm prepared for that not to happen. OK, OK. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be an interesting time. Um, yeah. So. And, uh, you know, when you do reviews with clients, you know, obviously the financial plans work fine when the markets are going up because you're gaining, gaining ground and everything. So do you agree that if the plans were going to fail, this would be the report that it would fail? Like this oh, right absolutely, now? Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting you say that I actually, um, you know, you can make capital market assumptions and all the planning softwares. Um, I actually revised mine down um, a few months back Okay. For my long-term assumptions, because I'd rather be too conservative than too aggressive, because it's going to lead, hopefully, the shortfalls the plan identifies are going to lead to actions. And so if I can get, if that, you know, helps client maybe invest a little more than they would have otherwise, mm -hmm. control what we can control sort of thing, mm -hmm. um, That that's the idea there. And I think this this year has again, in my career has mostly been, I started in 2010. So I've seen, you know, academically, I've studied things and I've seen a few bad quarters, but this is relatively, you know, uncommon in the last 15 years. So yes. uh, I think it's helped me revise my assumptions mm -hmm. down a bit. So, so you started in 2010. So you, you were what we would call a bull market baby. Yes, uh, very much so. So good for you. 
uh, and, and do you do you know of other colleagues uh, with your same tenure who are struggling through this? And 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 you know what would you what advice would you give them uh, right now I think, in their career? Uh, kind of alluding to what I said earlier, I think if you focus on financial planning and not just mm -hmm. investment management, mm -hmm. you'll be a better financial advisor. And when this happens, you'll be prepared for it because you'll have set the clients up properly mm -hmm. to weather the storm individually. Um, yes. And I, so I think financial planning is kind of in my book, the answer to everything. Um, if you can, and you know, I don't think you need to have a designation necessarily, but just doing the process will lead you to better results because you're doing right by the client and mm -hmm. the inputs are what matter. And if you, if the inputs are the clients, then you'll get the right results for them with the output. Nice. Nice. So you're, I'm, I'm hearing, uh, that you're going to grow and you're working on a possible acquisition. Um, and, and, uh, tell us a little bit about that. So I, uh, when I left my old BD, you know, I had a non-compete, which I honored, of course. Um, and I, so I had clients follow, um, but my overall AUM got cut about 50, 60% mm -hmm. when all was said and done. And so I had time on my hands. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I started thinking about how I could grow and I'll continue to grow organically. I've never actually gotten more referrals um, than this switch after the switch. Clients have been very generous with the referrals. Nice. Um, but I organically met some retiring advisor at Commonwealth who was looking for a good succession plan. And I kind of went into it. I wanted to figure out what I wanted out of an acquisition. And I decided ultimately I wanted to succeed an advisor who genuinely wanted their clients to be in good hands mm -hmm. as opposed to just getting a check and running for the hills because right. you can do that there are lots of bigger firms out there that'll easily stroke you a couple million bucks and you can just run away and be done right um but i really wanted someone who so we're we wrote out a very purposeful two-year transition process right. um to for me to meet the clients understand her business combine our businesses in a way that was fair to my clients and her clients. And then she's going to stick around for two years. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll go from there and um, we're going to ideally sign the legal stuff um, in about four months. And then we'll just have a year to build out the actual transition. So nice. that's where it is. And it'll about double my size. Um, and then that's one of the reasons I have this younger advisor is to help me handle the workload nice. of the new book. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, we did talk earlier, uh, about, you know, advisors and how they operate mm -hmm. and we're under the fiduciary standard in the advisor yes. space. Right. Yep. And there is the regulation and the, and the letter of the regulation and, and what you need to do to comply. Yes. And then there's also the spirit of the regulation. Let's talk a little bit about that. I think you, you expressed to me that a big part of your code is a very highly ethical approach. Yes. Let's talk about I, really, I really believe and I tell everyone who listens that integrity is the only thing in this world that can't be taken from us. We have to give it away. Right. So 
personally and professionally, I try to apply that standard. And, you know, Reg BI, fiduciary standard, depending on your license or designation, all that stuff's wonderful. Uh, and I really liked about 10 years ago when they philosophically brought up the idea of making everyone a fiduciary, but it turned out to be bad execution. And then they figured out a way to make it better. And now we have Reg BI. Um, but I think if you adhere to the letter of the law, that's important. But there's the legal plane of meeting the standard, and then there's the ethical plane. And if we all operate on the ethical plane, as long as we write the notes properly, we're going to be fine. Right. Um, if you treat everyone like it's your mom or your dad, and you're helping them out with their financial plans or investments, uh, then I think all in all, you will end up to be more successful. You may not make every sale or anything like that, but in the long run, clients will want to work with you. They'll trust you and you'll get better referrals and it'll lead to better business as well as meeting the letter of the law and, you know, passing your company's compliance inspections and all that, all that stuff too. But uh, I just think it's the right thing to do. And usually the right thing to do means that you'll end up in a better place, even when it's harder to do the right thing. Yes. So. so tell us, tell us about one time that you can remember when not naming names or anything like that, but uh, yes. when it, when you had to tell a client something very hard that really could have hurt your business um, if the client went against you. Um, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is I had an opportunity once uh, a client who we were looking at using life insurance as a retirement tool. And so they ultimately ended up getting the life insurance, but it was a higher premium because it was, you know, we're trying to overfund something. And right. I had had a, um, a wholesaler propose the idea of using an annuity to leverage up your dollars and then use the annuity payout to fund the life insurance. And on paper, I thought that was, was that's an interesting idea. I think that's, you know, really good. And then I, I looked at the commission payout of it and it was basically doubling up on the commission for the same client dollar. And so I did propose the idea to the client because there, there's value in it, right? I mean, if you want a hundred grand out of the annuity, you only got to put in 90, you're, you're leveraging up sort of thing. And now you got hundred K you can put in the insurance policy or whatever. Um, and when I, so I told him, I said, like, here's the concept. And, you know, ultimately this is where we want to get with the insurance. And I explained though, I said, you know, internally, I, I'm a little torn because this is two products where they're commissionable. And, you know, to me, that's just, I, I want to explain that to you. So if you end up going down this path, you understand how that works. Um, and I think I probably turned the client off of the strategy um, by saying that. Um, but in the end, I don't know that I would have been comfortable if they said yes. I, mm -hmm. I believe we had a level of trust where if I had said this is a good idea, they would have done it. Right. But I wanted, to, I really like laying, doing the pro and con thing of a product or a strategy, explaining what they're paying and allowing them to make the choice. I think that is one way to mitigate the conflict of interest we, we inherently have as business people. Um, it's just let them make the choice with all the information. And you're, like I said, you win some, you lose some, but right. you know, you're going you're gonna to be able to sleep at night. So that, that was the first example that came to mind 
Great. Well, then, then that's what it means to be a fiduciary, that you do the right thing for the client and you could have made more money uh, mm -hmm. by offering that product, but you did the right thing. And, you know, all that commission would, would affect the client down the road, of course. Absolutely. So, uh, so let's just, uh, you know, hit that up, up front. That's, that's great. Well, that's a great example. Um, you know, and John, you know, you've really given us a, a good roadmap and how you run the business and the, your background, the military background, your father. Um, it, it's just a great, a great uh, base for a great life and a great practice. Um, and, and today we're talking to about 300 financial advisors that will see this in about the next two weeks once it's out. Okay. And then over the next year, a few thousand. So imagine you're in an auditorium and all those people are together in one room, right? <laughs> and you're on stage. Yes. And this is your stage, okay? Um, is there any other message you'd like to give that crowd of people today as if you were in that room? Um, I guess it would be that, you know, it's understanding your story. Um, I tell my story to every client, what got me into the business, because it really colors how I look at financial planning. Mm -hmm. And I, so I'll share that here. Um, I got into it because I was a client of a financial advisor. And when oh. I got engaged, I brought my then fiance in to do a financial plan. And we set everything up. And then we got married in 2009. And about two weeks after we got married, uh, my wife, who is now just fine, ended up on her deathbed. Ooh. She got swine flu um, and went through a medically induced coma like a lot of folks have experienced with COVID. Now we were right. lucky and blessed and she made it out and she's fine. Um, but I remember one night in the hospital, her parents came to me and they said, we know this is going to be expensive, we'll help. And I remember immediately saying, you know, financially, we're fine. We had reviewed our health insurance. We had the right emergency savings. We had the right amount of life insurance for that time in our life. So we were covered for the financial risks her being sick posed. Obviously, emotionally, I was a wreck. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But financially, we were good. And usually when someone gets sick, you know, you're worried about two things. One, are they going to be okay? And two, can I afford this? Right. And not having to worry about affording it was an enormous weight off my shoulders. Yep. And that's what turned into me being a financial advisor is I immediately started looking around for a different career field that was more fulfilling to me where I could, I could be of service. And I think if we as financial advisors or planners or investment managers or insurance sales and whatever it is, if we look at this as a service industry, and I'm, I'm a Christian person, so you know, I approach it from that angle. But yeah. if, if we look at it as a service and we're always trying to do the best by our client, that will lead to our and our clients' success. Um, and I, I share that story because that is always what's in the back of my mind is, you know, I think where we really become valuable. It's fun to talk about investing. Um, you know, it's kind of the hot topic every client wants to discuss. But where we really provide value is when life throws a curveball at somebody, we can be there to advise them on the most efficient or fruitful way to get through that. 
Um, and, or, you know, if you're planning for something like a 30 year retirement or sending your kids to college. And I think having that drive within you as an advisor is what will make the difference in your client's success. And if not everyone has to have a sad story, but, you know, something that keeps you going when you're sitting there doing transfer paperwork and it's the most boring thing in the world. And you know that paperwork means something in a client's life. If you can just kind of keep that in the background. Nice. Nice. It's uh, it's great. John, you're a great inspiration. Um, you. You, you got a great ethics. We, we really appreciate your spending time with us. John Olson, uh, submarine officer, CFP and CEO of 2250 Financial Advisors. So thanks, uh, thanks for spending some time with us today, John. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, everybody, thanks for being with us today again on the Financial Advisors Workshop. We'll be back with another uh, interview with another great person like John uh, in our industry to showcase the best people. We have great people in this industry and, and we just want everyone to, to know who they are. And thanks, thanks again, John. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the ideas shared here, please subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star review on iTunes and Spotify and share this episode with anyone you think will also find value here. Please send us your follow-up questions at financialadvisorsworkshop.com. And while you're there, download our guide on how to find ultra high net worth clients. And if you're a financial advisor looking for more freedom, higher margins, and better training, please set up a consultation to hear more about joining our team by going to fourstarwealth.com slash advisors. All right, thanks for listening. And until the next Financial Advisor Workshop, keep on growing, everyone.